Hello everyone. Good morning. Um, welcome to another episode of Midwifery Love Life and Learning, which is one of all four maternities um, podcast series. And I'm Sheena Byram. My my, um, my role is I'm a midwife. I've been a midwife since the 1970s. And I'm a co-director and co-owner of All for Maternity, which hosts this um, episode series. And also we are midwifery publishers. So we have three midwifery journals now. We have the Practicing Midwife original version. And now we've just launched in Australia uh, last year, at the end of last year. So we have the Practicing Midwife Australia. And we also have the world's only student midwife journal. And this episode is really exciting because I've got in front of me on the screen two wonderful individuals who I've got to know quite well. Um, one of them is a student midwife, Amy Hassel, and the other is Nicolette. And Nicolette Porter is a newly qualified midwife. And they're just, we just all sat down now looking at each other and smiling. And we've just before the, we pressed the record button, we were chatting about about life and about smiling and about wearing masks and all the different things that are going on at the moment um, with midwives in practice and student midwives. We're just kind of touching on the surface. But I hope that during this podcast um, episode that we're going to cover quite a, a lot about the current affairs in, in, in maternity services in the United Kingdom um, through the eyes of these two wonderful individuals. So, I'm not going to introduce you. I'd like you to do that, if that's okay, Nicolette. I wonder if you could tell everybody who you are and what you do. Hi, yeah, my name's Nicolette and I'm a newly qualified midwife. Um, I started like in October, so I'm not sure how long I can call myself newly qualified, but I'm still clinging on to the label. <laughs> um, I'm also the former digital lead editor at the Student Midwife Journal. So I've been working with Orphan Maternity for a little while. And yeah, I'm excited to be here today and uh, discuss some of my experiences, my thoughts about the topic at hand. Fantastic. Well, welcome, Nicolette. And thank you for taking this time out of your day to join me because, you know, I know that you're busy and this is your day off. So I really appreciate it. And over to you, Amy. Hello, my name's Amy. I'm a second year student midwife and I'm also the social media lead at All for Maternity. Um, so I've been working with Sheena and the team for about two and a half years, um, helping to create their social media content on the Practicing Midwife Journal and the Student Midwife Journal. Wonderful. Well, you know, just to tell everybody that you do an amazing job with that, um, absolutely brilliant. And we're so grateful to you, Amy. And Amy and I have never met yet. So she's worked alongside me for two and a half years, but we've never met in person. So that's going to be an exciting day when we do that. I know, and we need to arrange that. <laughs> yes, we do. We do, absolutely. And Nicolette, as well, with you, um, you know, when you were digital lead for TSM, you did some amazing work. And we were always delighted to see what you kind of translated from from um, submissions into an online blog, blog post. And, you know, we loved working alongside you and so thank you again for all that you did for us because we do really appreciate it. 
So both of you have been or still involved in our work at Orphan Maternity, which is great. And obviously, that's how I've got to know you. But I'd just like to, you know, just start off this conversation by saying that I spend a lot of time with student midwives, um, mainly online, but sometimes I'm at events where I'm literally surrounded by them and hearing their stories. And I run workshops with them. And I also... I'm in communication with midwives as well, working in England and around the world, but we're talking about England mainly today from your experiences. And um, I'm also aware that we've got, um, you know, these dreadful damning reports coming out from different maternity services around the country, outlining how women and birthing people and families have felt when they've received their care and they've been traumatized or they've lost family members and it's been just the most the most horrendous situations are all revealed within these reports and we've also been um we've been aware that we're aware that there's there's CQC reports coming out on, on a regular basis uh, care quality commission reports and we're seeing that you know a mirroring of what's being reported within those documents and and in these um, these examinations of maternity services, various maternity services. So I just wondered what your thoughts were on how you feel things are at the moment. I mean, this is a general kind of conversation and a general opening of the chat, but starting off with you, Nicolette, because you've moved from being a student into your, you know, your very first job as a midwife and given that we've had all this kind of negative negativity and, you know, quite rightly highlighting of when things have gone wrong, how do you feel it is in, in practice at the moment? Yeah, um, I think that there might definitely be a uh, shift, like pre-reports and then post these kind of reports in, in not only morale, but also in the public's trust of perinatal care services and the care that they can expect to receive and I think that some people might be on edge even prior to getting pregnant being throughout their pregnancy or leading up to the moment of even being in labor they might come in with with fears and ideas about how it's going to be in the care that they're going to receive and then on the other side of it um in terms of a, a midwife's perspective there might be feelings of fear of litigation, fear of adverse outcomes and what that might mean for them professionally and personally and things like that. And these things can create a climate where you're already on on edge when this should be such a lovely, um, beautiful life experience that we're sharing with our clients and they're sharing with with our midwives and, and our, our care workers. And um, I think that when there's a lot of negativity surrounding uh um, perinatal care services, people might want to do their own research or be less trustful of our existing guidelines, which uh, they might consider to have failed others. So then they might be more um, willing to birth outside of these guidelines and look at alternative uh, birth choices. And I think that's the, the context that we might be working in going forward a little bit more. Mm. Yeah, that's really interesting, isn't it? Because I'm glad you brought up the word fear because actually we already had a fearful service and, uh, you know, the fear was there before um, all these reports came out. And, and I know that it's compounded that. And also with the pandemic as well, I guess, you know, that, that, that's sort of an, and it's working through how do we, 
how do we um how do we sort of counteract that fear how do we alleviate some of it and so that we can be true and authentic to ourselves and practice in a way that's safe and responsive and personalized without without feeling that fear because sometimes what fear does is it strangles us and it it makes us practice defensively and we are covering our backs all the time because we're worried about getting into trouble or worry about doing things wrong and sometimes it just gets overwhelming because of the negativity do you feel that you see that you know when you're speaking to clients when you're speaking to the women and people that you're caring for do you feel that there is that fear or people asking different questions or have you not noticed anything like that yeah absolutely i think also um another really uh, important life event that's happened recently is the pandemic where in some areas we have had a reduction in our antenatal care in terms of like uh, the antenatal classes or sometimes closed during that you know height of the pandemic and people have to seek alternative methods to inform them whether that be uh, online and on, on social media or, or on things like tiktok i've seen a lot of people uh get some get some advice from other people because uh, speaking to another person who's given birth can sometimes be even more relatable than speaking to a professional mm-hmm. um but that can lead to sometimes receiving not contradictory information but just alternative information it can be quite conflicting and confusing about which is the best one to follow mm-hmm. um and then just kind of not just in you know uh, perinatal care services but i would argue that generally amongst healthcare amongst science the pandemic has seen um a little bit of an uh more people you know we've seen some people who are anti-vaccination we've seen people who are questioning um some scientific and uh, professional bodies and i think that just the whole cultural environment in the uk can sometimes lead to people seeking alternative explanations and choices and opinions online to inform what healthcare they want to receive um i think that uh having alternative explanations can mean that when when a midwife or a healthcare professional can be explaining their guidelines and their policies um we are in a bit more of a situation where we're willing to ask questions and push back on things and think is this right for me what is my choices and i think this is where it's just really important for midwives and healthcare workers to be providing the best and up to date evidence based information that we have um and also understanding that guidance so when we get that pushback we can explain it we can explain the rationale not just explaining it because this is the guidelines this is a policy of where we work knowing that physiology behind it allows us to have a lot more credibility behind what we're saying and what we're revising Absolutely. I'd like to explore that a little bit more later on social media and guide and guidelines which I've kind of made a note of because it's really important. But I'd like to ask you Amy what you feel um as a student midwife. I always think student midwives are like the litmus paper. They're like the tester of, you know, the the almost the 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 what do you call it when you're a, a mystery shopper you know you you kind of go in without any perceived ideas unless you've had your own children which i know you have but you know you you see things from a different angle don't you so i just wondered how you felt things were at the moment in general yeah i think it's probably quite a unique perspective for student midwives isn't it because we come in quite sort of fresh faced and excited and optimistic and then when you have these reports that make really harrowing reading it's then sort of still trying to maintain that 
positivity whilst also trying to make positive changes Mm -hmm. and I think you know when we're thinking about consent and respect and dignity I I truly believe that all midwives want to provide those things and have those values that's really kind of central to their practice but we know that facilitating care outside of guidelines or alternative birth choices can be troubling for midwives and student midwives and I think like we've already said it's it all comes down to that sense of fear whether it's fear for maternal safety fear for the safety of the baby and also like Nicolette said fear of professional repercussions and you know research has shown that midwives fall along a sort of spectrum so for some of them supporting choice is really fundamental to their values and they're very eager to to facilitate choice but you know that others feel quite vulnerable or quite uneasy when providing out of guidelines care and I think as a student you see kind of both ends of that spectrum we work with different people and you know your work one day and see a I've seen brilliant examples of really good individualized care where where women are really listened to and their perspectives, their opinions are kind of put into, you know, really listened to and put into place and plans put together that prioritizes their opinions and also safety. Um, But then you can also, you know, know, see that sense of fear sometimes. And it is apparent that, there is a fear of those negative outcomes and repercussions. So I think as a student, we kind of can really see both both sides of that. Yeah, for sure. Anything you want to add, Nicolette? Yeah, I think it's so important what you said about the perspective of student midwives, because midwives are really acting as that role model to students. And when they see a really positive person-led care in practice, it can mean that that facilitates the next generation of midwives, you know, doing that, do, doing that good work that we really want to see going forward. So it's kind of like this cycle of um, emulating what you want to see, like being the change, you know, in the system that you want to see. Um, and I think it's really also important that you mentioned about birth outcomes. You know, I think that us supporting birth choices does improve outcomes, not necessarily just literally the word outcomes and what we perceive it to mean, but also I would consider that part of birth outcomes is having a positive birth experience your experience of birth and how you perceive the birth is a birth outcome so when we talk about supporting birth choices that is improving outcomes because if you feel listened to and you feel heard that can massively reduce negative experience and trauma that's involved in birth which I would uh, argue is just as important if not extremely important of an outcome absolutely I think what you say as well about the sort of um midwives being that example I think it's so true because I've worked with some midwives and you see the way that they listen to women and they advocate for women and I just look and think that is a type of midwife I want to be so I think having those midwives in practice that really facilitate choice it's really inspiring for the students absolutely I just want to add here that the fact that there's this confusion amongst 
maternity workers and um, you know midwives and doctors is that if you facilitate choice, you're more likely to get things wrong or you're more likely to get sued or in trouble or things are to go wrong. If so, for example, if a woman um, or a person wants to choose to have her baby, that's a little bit alternative to what would what would be, be perceived as normal to happen. So if she's not follow, not doesn't want to follow some guidance, if she says, no, actually, I don't want to have that. I'm actually going to have my baby at home, um, even though I've had a previous cesarean, for example, then um, then th- that that isn't a reason for things to go wrong. Because actually, what we the, the main thing that we have to remember is that at the end of the day, it's the woman's choice. And when I talk about woman, I'm talking about women and birthing people. And I will be including um, everything, you know, all terms within my, when I'm having a discussion, but I just, sometimes I will just use the word woman. But when you think about, um, if you know, what whoever it is um, who's, who's giving birth, if she, that person has to be respected and their choices have to be respected. And what we have to do is make sure that they're given the most appropriate evidence that's relatable to them and to their circumstances. So we have to be absolutely clear that we give them unbiased, appropriate information. And once they've received that information, it's up to them what they choose to do. And we have then, we've got a right, uh, sorry, we've got a responsibility then to make sure that their choices are facilitated to in the safest way possible. If it's impossible to maintain safety, we have to explain that to them. But in usually we can do things in a, in a safe way. We all have to work together, you know, obstetricians, midwives, doulas, everybody involved works together to ensure that that choice is facilitated. And the thing that's very, very important in that, as you've mentioned already, is the listening and supporting and sharing information. But then it's the documentation, because if we document that this is this is what the the person wants, the birthing person wants, this is what we've explained. This is the information we've shared. This is the decision she's made. This is what we're going to do about helping her to achieve that goal as much as possible. And that's it. And actually, if you do that with every single every single time, then you've nothing to worry about because actually you've done exactly what your your professional body, the Nursing and Midwifery Council, tells you to do. So you're actually working to your your professional standards, and you know that is absolutely integral to everything. So for me, the the you know if I was to be afraid of something, it would be where I didn't know how to do something and I didn't ask and I did it wrong or, you know, we all make mistakes. We're going to make mistakes in our, in our life. We're human beings. But it's, you know, trying to minimise making mistakes is the way that we should be really focusing on promoting safety as well as, uh, you know, and the experience, which you've just quite rightly said, Nicolette, is part of the outcome, is the outcome, you know, how a woman experiences a birth. So it's just that we sometimes get confused and think that working out outside guidelines, which I don't really like that term, I, I prefer to say facilitating choice, is actually there's nothing to fear because as long as you know how to do that, and you know how to risk, and, and you were quite right saying about uh, Nicolette about the guidance that we use is understanding the evidence base behind it and being able to articulate that in a non-biased way 
is so important. So if we just get the fundamentals right, then we can be that practitioner who supports everybody, whatever they choose to do. But sometimes we will have to say, actually, you know, that is very dangerous. And, you know, it will, yeah, this, this is, I'm, you know, we can say things like, I would be worried about that. You making that choice, you know, that's okay to say that, but we, we, you know, if it's possible that we can support that choice, then we've, you know, it's our, it's our responsibility to do that. Is that, does that make it clear? To, am I kind of being talking? Yeah, is that understandable? No, absolutely. I, I, I 100% agree with you. And I think um, it is okay as a professional to air some of your concerns about what they're saying, just mm-hmm. as long as you can uh, provide a rationale for that and, and let yeah. it be a conversation between the two of you um, right. and the family. Because I think that it's important to uh, involve involve women birthing people and their families in the choices that are being made i think that some environments in the interpartum settings can be so pressure and so like high intensity and acute care when they come in and they're they're, and and they might already be distressed nori in labor this is not always the time that we can have these discussions fully and in depth even though we should be aiming for this all the time and i think that it kind of it highlights how important antenatal education and discussing of birth plans prior to being admission admitted in labor ward so we can have these uh full in-depth discussions and really kind of weigh up risks benefits for everything and have some time to process think on it and then see what what is your decision and what you want even before we get to the stage of coming in not to say we can't reinforce that and reiterate that information when you come in but having informed choice um is is so important and i find that having some time to really sit and think about your choices can can go a long way Absolutely. Yeah, you're right. And it's also about educating midwives then as well, isn't it? Because what I was just saying then about facilitating choice, a lot of midwives think that's why they're fearful of supporting birth outside guidelines, because they're afraid of getting into trouble when it's not that that should be that they should be frightened of. What do you think, Amy? Can you hear me? Sorry, yeah, my mic went on mute. Um, yeah, I think everything you said is right. It's definitely that, you know, having that education, that understanding. Um, and then also, I think Nicolette mentioned sort of time. And I think time constraints is a really big factor in informed consent because you often don't necessarily in practice have the time to share all of the information that you'd like to share. So I think when we're thinking about facilitating choice effectively, we should be thinking of all the ways that we can actually support midwives and students to do that. So making sure they've got the time, making sure that the culture is supportive and there's a multidisciplinary team behind them that will you know, support them and help them. Um, and I think it's all of those factors, thinking about all the things that are facilitators to mm-hmm. informed consent rather than the barriers. So I know continuity of care is really important in this as well, being able to build that relationship. So the midwife having that time and consistency with the woman and family to talk through all of these options, share all of this evidence-based information, and then the family having time to make their decisions. And I think it's a lot of those things. It's all sort of got to come together, hasn't it? A bit of a 
puzzle, all sort of little puzzle pieces to come together to make sure that families are supported to make these choices. Absolutely. You mentioned a really important word there. You mentioned culture. And I know in all the reports that have been, you know, the damning reports that have come out from various maternity services are um, all of them mention the negative culture, toxic cultures, where and very often that's where choice isn't facilitated, where you've got individuals or groups of individuals who are working against against any kind of support supportive you know I don't know just sort of I guess I've worked with individuals who've like you say on opposite ends of the spectrum some who've been really supportive of what what women and birthing people want when they come in and others who've been you know really obstructive to that and then you get the also the, the sometimes conflict between obstetricians and midwives and sometimes between some midwives and other midwives and you know the I've lived through 40 years of varying cultures in maternity services and seen how it how damaging that can be and and I I quite um, agree with those reports when they say that you know these things are are harmful and as a patient myself when i was when i was sick you know i often reflect on it because there's no difference really between how we uh, you know any kind of provision of health service care is is you know that the person who's receiving that care is very vulnerable and the only difference is in maternity is that we have a two people that we're caring for and and very often the, the needs of the baby overtakes the needs of the mother. And we know very well that it shouldn't be that within human, you know, human right lo- rights law, that shouldn't be the case, especially with the, the unborn baby. But we we very often forget that and, and move to, you know, as long as the baby's safe. But when I was sick, you know, there were very often times where it was really busy and the, the time the time frames were short, but yet it was the people who who just took that extra moment just to explain something to me that helped me to make the right decisions because there were times when it was really fraught and I had to make a, a quick decision about whether, for example, to have an aspiration on my liver or not to do it or whether to go to theatre and or not. And, you know, these are, these are things that come up all the time. Um, so it's not just in maternity care, but we should always remember that that individual has the right to their personal autonomy and should be able to make those decisions themselves with our with our help. So the culture really does inf- it does influence really you know massively influence. And when we look at how we can make cultures positive, how we can improve, because you know I think one of the things we have to look for all the time, and I don't know how what you think about this is thinking about solutions for these for these um, situations that we find ourselves in. So if you see something that's happening. Um, in practice that you feel uncomfortable with. And I remember as a student midwife seeing an examination, a vaginal examination, and um, I was a new student midwife and I'd never seen anything like it because the woman was screaming and she was asking the doctor to stop. And the midwife that was with her wasn't just, she was just encouraging her to not scream and not shout and to comply with the doctor and I felt sick because I was a student midwife. I'd never seen anything like this before. It, well, that wasn't the reason, but I'm saying it was new to me. I'd never, you know, in my life seen any, even though I was a nurse, I'd never seen anything like that. And 
I thought I was going to faint. I felt so sick. And what shocked me was I, I thought to myself, I could see, I looked at everybody's faces and nobody else seemed to be alarmed. And I thought that I had to be like them. So I thought in order for me to cope with this, I've got to be like them. That was my initial thought. So you can see how individuals start to mirror how others behave, how others are to fit in with the culture. They feel that that's the way they can cope. So you said, Amy, that you believe that people come into midwifery, and I agree with you, or obstetrics or any kind into the caring profession profession to be compassionate to be to provide wonderful healing care so that people can have the best possible experience but along the way something happens and they become desensitized to their human to humanity and to their 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 core purpose and it's very many things that cause that you know potentially cause that so like you say it's time frames it's it's having to get through things, task orientation, the culture, somebody being bullying you or being negative towards you, saying something awful. And all these things start to impact on the way you are. So I guess what I'm trying to say is if we can role model good behaviours, if we can role model compassionate care and compassionate connections and relation, build relationships, as student midwives and as newly qualified midwives, you can do that. And actually, it doesn't cost anything. And it's not it's not always easy to do that because sometimes you're up against, you know, people who are sort of criticizing and and critiquing you for being like that. I was with some students last week and we were doing um, workshops on respectful maternity care. And one of the students said, oh, I'm re- I-, I feel really positive at work and I love going into work, but sometimes... The midwives say to me, oh, we'll soon knock that out of you. Or you won't be like that when you've been here as long as I have. And, um, you know, and, and she said to me, what do I say when people are saying that to me? And it's so sad, isn't it? That, you know, when you're trying your hardest to be to be um, your tr- your natural self and to get to get on with what you want to do that people are putting you down for that and that's always happened even in my day that was happening um so anything you want to say about that because I've been talking too long now <laughs> yeah I've I've had that said to me more than once and it does make you feel a bit uncomfortable because you just try um you come in with a, such a positive mindset you know you're newly qualified you're really trying to put everything you've learned into practice and sometimes you do see uh certain atmospheres and you hope it doesn't rub off on you and you you worry that you're going to lose lose some of that um but I think it's all about um just a good understanding of our role as a midwife and uh having a good philosophy with that 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 stays within like human rights and we learn these things in in first year as a student so it's not something that you develop over time in your understanding as a midwife it's there from right at the beginning of our education so it's almost a matter of staying true to your values and I think that a lot of midwives do hold that true to their practice I think that sometimes just certain organizational cultures as, as as you were saying like can sometimes be a test to those things um in terms of solutions uh not that this is the be all and end all, but when you were speaking, it did make me think of the role of the PMA, the professional midwifery advocate, um, to discuss certain skills and confidence in, in, in these situations that might not be typical and uh, any grievances or issues that you're having in the workplace. I think that 
having uh, more development of the role of the professional midwifery advocate can can go hand in hand with um, some of the difficulties that we see in in some midwives implementing birthing outside the guidelines. Yeah, wonderful. Anything you want to add, Amy? Um, I think it's quite interesting because you sort of talked a little bit then about um, when or how perspectives might change as a student. So you come in kind of very positive, very excited, um, and then you said at some point that sometimes, not always, can shift and you practice maybe more defensively, you're more fearful of repercussions. Um, and I've actually recently submitted my under, undergraduate research um, protocol, which focuses on student midwives' perspectives towards facilitating out-of-guidelines care. Wow. Um, so we know, obviously, there's quite a lot of research by the likes of kind of the wonderful Claire Feely, for example, that looks, oh, there's her book, yeah, <laughs> that focuses on midwives' perspectives towards um, facilitating choice. But there's not very much known about how students feel as while they're student midwives. Um, so my protocol proposed to address this sort of gap in the literature and explore students' perspectives towards women or birthing people who choose to birth outside of recommendations or guidelines. And hopefully that might allow me to understand if students have the same sort of spectrum of views. So if they come to midwifery with differing views, or if this is something that changes as they progress throughout the course, as they progress as midwives, and then I think hopefully getting that understanding of what their feelings are, why they might have those feelings. I then hope that that, can, that information can be used to support students to feel more confident facilitating choice. And I'm hoping that we might be able to put some kind of recommendations for mm -hmm. education together that are really focused on consent, autonomy, choice, evidence-based care, so I think it will be quite interesting to see if it is something that shifts as you progress or is it something that, you know, students come with differing views. It will be quite interesting to, to find that out, I think. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. Well done for doing something so innovative and topical. I've just like I just popped up with this book of Claire's that arrived yesterday. And luckily, I'd read a few chapters of it before. Um, but yeah, this is this is groundbreaking work. And so you, you yours will add to this, which is which is this is Claire Feely's book, everybody that I'm just putting up. I keep forgetting that this is a podcast and people can't see me. So um, supporting physiological birth choices in midwifery practice the role of workplace culture politics and ethics is um, Dr Claire Feely's latest book which has just uh, been published and is quite an incredible text um, so just to yeah that that's that sounds fascinating and well done Amy and thank you for doing that because that's very as I've said it's very important and um, it'd be good to see what students think and I, you know I, I do feel that they might come into into midwifery having one kind of idea, and then it being and then it being them being swayed into another into another route, um, just by their peer just by peer pressure, 
And you only need to get one person who says, oh, well, I did this and it all went wrong and um, and put the fear of God in everybody that, you know, you start to feel differently about things. And But it's always been like that. You know, it's not this isn't a new phenomena. In fact, it's, you know, it's it's better now because people are talking about it like it's a thing. Whereas in my early career, it was it was never talked about. It was just you did what you were told and you did what the doctor said. And that was that really. But now it's sort of swayed the other way. Whereas, you know, that you mentioned, Nicolette, that people are birthing in different ways now because they're so, they, they really are losing trust in what maternity and perinatal services are providing. That, you know, you only need to look at Instagram and see how many people are talking about birthing alone, you know, um, free birthing, it's definitely increasing. I mean, it's anecdotal for me, but I've never seen as many. In, in fact, I um, facilitated a water birth in my career. It was in the 1990s. And it's one of the sort of pivotal moments in my career when I supported this woman to have a birth at home in water. And I'd never seen a water birth before. And she didn't want a doctor there. And that baby, that's, so that not the baby that I helped to give, that I helped her to give birth to, but the, the little girl that was with her when she gave birth it was in the pool with her. Um, she was only two, so she won't have remembered it, but she's just had a third baby and she's had a third free birth. And I don't know this person, but her mum has been messaging me telling me about it. So she's had three babies uh, without any midwife or any antenatal care or anything. And I, I'm, it just, I'm just like, wow, you know, this is so sad that people don't trust us, that don't want us in their lives. When, when, when all I can think of is, you know, um, is how lovely, lovely it was for me with my midwife and, um, for all four times, you know, I had the most incredible midwives and I wouldn't have done it without them. And so it's sad. It just makes me feel really sad um, th by that, with that situation. But your your study, Amy, will delve into what what's going on in the, the minds of student midwives and look for facilitators, like you were saying, look for what the what the solutions are. So I definitely think that we have got solutions to um, to what's going on at the moment. And first and foremost, I have to mention the work of um, Michael West in his incredible uh, uh, sort of teachings around compassionate leadership. Because I think if we hu humanize the birthing process, if we always think about the humanization of birth and how we can work towards that and compassionate leadership helps us to look after ourselves and look after each other, because it's really important that we support and care for each other, isn't it? You know, rather than criticizing, condemning, um, bringing people down, if we can really nurture each other, then we're going to be able to change the culture within the maternity service. And Michael West says we're all responsible for the culture. It's not just the people who are leading. It's all of us in every interaction that we have every day. So, yeah, so I just think that that's, you know, a massive solution. Yeah, definitely. I think it's interesting what you said about humanising birth. And I think that it's all about, Rebuilding that trust relationship is so, so imperative. And I think that humanizing birth also from the other perspective of humanizing professionals. Um, and I think that one really, really good way to facilitate that is continuity of care. Obviously, mm. it has a lot of a lot of more widespread benefits than this. But I think just 
when we are scrutinizing the causes behind the causes of the reasons why people are in this environment feeling uncomfortable to come into um, perinatal care services and to receive antenatal care and, and birth within the guidelines or birth within a hospital setting, um, there might be some previous or historic trauma there. And we need to rebuild that trust and sometimes humanizing the professionals again and seeing the same people, the same person throughout the pregnancy can mean that you're not getting that conflicting uh, information from one person to another. You're getting that strong and stable message all the way throughout. Um, and you'll see sometimes clients look to the midwife in a room where, you know, there are a lot of people in, they will look to the midwife uh, for reassurance yeah. of things. And when you have that trust there, um, I think that they will feel a lot more safe. And I think that it's hard to, it's hard to do that sometimes when that is the first time that they've met. It's hard to build that rapport uh straight away especially when there might be historical trauma coming into the situation yeah i've got something to say about that in a minute but have you got to say anything amy have you got any thoughts on that i, I disagree with everything that sheena and nicolette you've already said i think having the time to build those relationships is so important because it builds that trust it builds that rapport you know they feel safe they feel listened to they feel supported and I think all of those things make such a difference to their experience and we know that research has showed it improves outcomes as well and yeah I think a lot of it comes down to staff provision and time provision and I think just being able to give the care that we all want to give that sort of you know one-to-one um give the time I think it just makes such a difference and it really helps families to feel respected and well looked after and I think then when we can start to build that trust hopefully trust overall in maternity services will improve as well yeah. yeah and you can pick things up from last time so you can be like oh remember from the last appointment I started talking to you a little bit about vitamin k have you given any thoughts to that but when it's different people you don't know where you what you've left off you don't know what they've known or what don't know you know and um, I think it's so good to have that continuity um in rebuilding trust um so you can have like a kind of um just a just a Are you still there, Amy? Hello. Yeah, I think Nicolette's back. Hi, Nicolette. There was a little pause there. But yeah, there was just a little pause. I think you froze for a while, but I think your arms were kind of moving. It was lovely seeing you. Oh, I'm talking with my hands. I know. It was wonderful, actually, with your big smiling face. Yeah, you were talking about the trust that's that's needed and that's that comes with that um that continuity and knowing knowing people um thank you for that one of the one of the things i wanted to kind of say before we finish is that i've i've absolutely agree with you around continuity of care i don't think there's any way that's better than providing providing services by uh, providing uh, um maternity perinatal services with woman centered with uh, one to one uh, case loading you know 
continuity of carer is absolutely by far the best way of doing, uh, of providing care. But I've never, ever worked in a continuity of carer model. I have actually created continuity of carer teams and got the funding for it, set them up, referred people to them because they used to come to me with birth trauma when I was a consultant midwife. Um, I used to see women and families with trauma and um, always feel relieved that I could refer them to a, a team who would get to know them, get to know their history and be able to respect their decisions. And, and, and I always feel wor- I felt worried before we had that team, because I, I, I'd give them loads of time and attention, then I knew they'd be going back into the service where they may have been seen by individuals with different philosophies, different perspectives, that they wouldn't get the, the, the care that they needed, which is not good to feel like that. But that's how I felt. But the problem, the thing that I wanted to add is that if we haven't got continuity of carer teams, it doesn't mean that we can't give compassionate loving care. So, for example, you know, whenever I went into a room, the first thing I would do was connect, was work hard to connect with that person. And doing that, it was sometimes I would only know them for literally 15 minutes because I'd be going in to a, a woman who was being seen by another midwife who'd gone on a break, for example, or I was going in to help. And it was my responsibility and my desire within that short space of time to form a relationship based on what she needed, not what I needed. So I used to try to find out as much as possible just from what she said or how she looked or and that that loving touch, that loving eye contact, that smile, just as when I went for a really, really serious um, investigation into a theatre and I was scared out of my mind, the lovely man who came to do it was just, I'd never met him before, but he just made me feel at ease within a split second because he loved me. He was just kind to me. And he he just said, you know, I'm going to look after you and I'm going to do this and I'm going to make sure that you're all right. And he held my hand before he did it. So it's just that, you know, we, we want to have continuity of care. And of course, it's the gold standard and it's the way we should all be working. But if we can't, if we haven't got that, we can't dismiss it and think that, you know, we, you know, we, we, and, and also the time factor, it doesn't take longer to be kind. So, you know, we can still be kind just with anything that we do. So every blood pressure that we take, every temperature that we take, we can do it with a kind kindness. So I guess that's what I was meaning, but your points were so valid and so important. And, you know, to have student midwives like yourselves and newly qualified midwives coming out into into the maternity and perinatal world where you're going to be, you know, changing things. I'm on my way out. You're on your way in. And um, it's just so refreshing and so inspiring for me to be with you and to hear you talking about the way that you want maternity services to go and the way midwifery, you want to develop your midwifery practice. So if there's anything, so we have to kind of, we're coming to an end now, which I feel really sad about. I could talk to you all day, but is there anything, you know, for the listeners, um, I guess that, you know, many student midwives will be listening to this podcast and midwives even and other people. But for student midwives in particular, have you got anything that you'd like to just say to them before we finish this recording? Just some, you know, word of wisdom. 
Yeah. Um, I'd love to just one more time really highlight the importance of research, you know, because researching allows you to understand, you know, the anatomy and physiological arguments underpinning what the guidelines are. So having good research skills and frequently exercising that and maintaining the most up-to-date things means that you will be a better practitioner because you can explain what the guidelines are, what is the rationale behind those guidelines. So as a student, you have that dedicated time as a university to really hone your research skills, to really read those textbooks, read those guidelines. And I think that becoming well acquainted with those things will put you on a good pathway to being a good practitioner. Fabulous. Thank you for that, Nicolette. That's so important. And that's the difference between your education and mine when I was training and it was a training to be a midwife we didn't have any research skills at all there wasn't any research so you're really lucky that you've got that not only you have some research because there is only a small amount of good research in in uh, obstetrics and maternity but you've got the skills to analyze it and and to articulate it which is so important and amy have you got anything that you'd like to say too i think for me and it's just sort of picking up on a few of the things you just said Sheena um I think it's just I'd like to highlight the importance of what your focus is when you walk into that room because I think earlier on you mentioned that sort of task orientated focus and I think if we walk in with that sort of very task focused and thinking about all the things we need to tick off and the things we need to do we're not actively listening to the people in the room I think if we go in with a focus that's a lot more on compassion and sort of really taking it back to really simple things like just listening to the woman and her family. I think that is a really important starting block to build that relationship and then be able to provide care that is really individualised. Yeah, really. That's that's yes. Yeah. So, such a such a, an important part of what we do is listening, isn't it? It's it's absolutely fundamental. And yeah, the, the the smallest things often make the biggest differences. So, thank you both for your suggestions. You know, it's um, it's really good because when you when you think about those, you know, those two things that you've mentioned, research and 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 connection, they're kind of you know like form the the basis of what you're trying to do on a daily on a daily basis and so yeah I absolutely agree with you and thank you so much for that and thank you for your time to, time today um you know I really really appreciate it and I more appreciate or just as equally are you doing what you're doing on a on a you know in your work and your study in every time you're on placement or every day you go on a shift, Nicolette, everything that you do, I'm so grateful to you. And, um, you know, I just wanted to make that known. So, and I'm in awe of you really, of what you're doing. So thank you so much and have a lovely day, both of you. Have a really nice day. Thank you. Thanks, Sheena.